Keith Green song. Some of you may know it. And if you do, uh, join in with me. But it really sets the tone for where I want to go this morning. Uh, goes like this. My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. For what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you and your spirit of love. Please wash me anew in the wine of your blood. And the reason that I wanted to start out with that is uh, we become so, we get old quick, quickly. And we get old in the faith quickly. Not necessarily mature in the faith, old in the faith. And become kind of crusted sometimes in the things that we know and the way that we do things. And hopefully this morning uh, is about breaking some crust up. And on that note, would you stand with me? And let's read a passage of Scripture. John 13. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Father, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the blessing that's in your word for the power that's in your word, and I pray for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit on this place and on each one here. I pray that you would break through the barriers that are in our lives and that you would help us to see something fresh and something new today, Father, as we pursue you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The first place that uh, I want to start here that we really need to start is with the understanding that almost everything the world has ever taught you is wrong. You get right down to it. Uh, just a few examples. Uh, the world teaches us that pride is better than humility. The world doesn't necessarily value humility, but pride. Take pride in what you do. You know, take, how can you win? With, you can't, you're not going to win if you don't have pride. Uh, if you're going out there to, to do battle, you've got to be on top of your game with pride. But the scripture, the scripture says, 
Pride goes before destruction. Haughty spirit before a fall. And so if pride is good and something that we're really shooting for, now there, you know, there is a way in which pride is okay. But if pride in ourselves is good, then Bible says that we're headed for destruction. And that's what we all want, isn't it? Not. God opposes the proud, but gives favor to the humble. And so the thing that the world teaches us is, is good is something that sets us up in opposition to God or that, or that causes God to stand in opposition to us. But he gives favor to the humble. And one more. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Life verse here. <laughs> of course, most of you are aware, meek is just simply an older term for humble. Blessed are the humble. In the end, guess who gets it all? The humble. It doesn't matter what the score is in the second quarter. It doesn't matter what the score is at halftime or what the score is with two minutes to go in a game. It's scoreboard at the end. And at the end... Humility is better than pride. Another thing that the world teaches us is that there is security and money. Oh, we've, we heard your series. We no longer believe this. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I mean, we're swimming in it. You know, that's why there's so many insurance commercials on television. You know, and if you, and if you can buy an expensive enough car, you can get in a wreck and you won't get hurt because money protects you. Keeps bad stuff from happening to you and to those you love. At least that's what the world would tell us. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not okay to I'm not saying don't have money or it's not okay to, but I'm saying if you trust in it, the Bible says you'll fall. If you trust in your standing with God, which is what righteousness is, you flourish. Flourish like a, like a, like a green leaf. The greater is served by the lesser. That's, that's another thing that the world uh, tends to teach us. The servants are the little people scurrying around doing the bidding of the, the, the mighty and the important and we're going to look at this a little more in depth next week, next week when we talk about the rewards of serving. But for now, consider this. Over in Mark, Jesus said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. You know, sometimes I don't think we take seriously Jesus' words when he says that in the kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. The implications of what that means. It means that those who are first, those who are, have first place in the world will have last place in, in the kingdom. And the world lasts this long, and the kingdom lasts from there to there, like eternity, forever. Not only this, Jesus, actually, he put it this way in Matthew. He said, the greatest among you must be your servant. He said, if you want to be great, serve. Serve, that's, that's where it is. That's, that's where it comes from. And Jesus didn't just talk. Jesus did. 
He did. His, his entire life destroyed the notion that the greater is served by the lesser because the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. And there's never been anyone greater than God Almighty walking on the face of the earth incarnate in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And the exclamation point to this life came in object lesson form on the night in which he was betrayed. I, uh, I love the first thing that he says to them when, when he sits down. Do you understand what I have done for you? I grew up in a home. It's period at the end of that sentence. Most of you did as well. And during the time that I grew up, I ate lots of food. And I wore lots of clothes because I wore some of them out and I outgrew others and I didn't like others. I, uh, and most of the time I was wearing clean clothes, uh, except when I could help it. Uh, and I, I had a bicycle. I played with lots of toys. I uh, drove some cars that I never paid a penny for, or nor ever put any gasoline in, nor ever paid any insurance on. And actually, I guess to kind of top it all off, uh, when I got out of college, uh, my parents actually had covered all that. I had no debt when I got out of college. That's an amazing thing today, and especially when you consider that my parents weren't very wealthy at all. Of course, I was an only child. <laughs> but did I understand what my parents had done for me and the sacrifices that they made? No, not a bit of it. I was, uh, in fact, I was kind of a stinker. Uh, a little bit. We'll get right down to it. I, I remember when when I was in uh, elementary school, uh, there was a, there were was a few years that I'd ride the bus home, and I I wouldn't go all the way home. I'd get off at the stop at the grocery store where my dad worked. There's a little country grocery store out in Millersville, Tennessee, and I and I'd go in and I'd get a quarter from my dad, and I'd buy a um, uh, I'd buy a, a Coca Cola, and I'd buy. Uh, a bag of potato chips, and I'd buy a, a candy bar, and I'd buy five pieces of, of bubble gum, bubble gum cards, uh, which you could do for a quarter in those days. And I remember one day in particular that I'll never forget. Because I went in, I asked my dad for a quarter, and he went, It's a quarter. And he said, Come here, son. And he took me around behind the counter and he showed me that he had a hole in his shoe. And uh, I didn't care. And you know, I mean, you may kind of go, <laughs> you, you, when you were 10, you didn't either. You didn't either. What? It's a quarter. And he gave me a quarter. I'll never forget that day. Do you understand what I have done for you? So rarely do we understand. And they for sure didn't understand. I mean, yeah, they knew that they knew that their that he had washed their feet and that their feet were dirty and that that needed doing and that that was an act of a servant and and they knew that he had washed their feet, but they didn't know as he knew 
that he had washed the feet of a betrayer, that he had washed the feet of a denier, that everyone whose feet he had just washed would desert him in his hour of greatest need just a few hours later. They, they did not understand that their feet had just been washed by the God who created the universe, that that, that that ancient voice that spoke and said, light be into nothing, was the one who had just washed their feet. The, the one in whom all things hold together, the one that, that, that keeps the entire material universe functioning was the one who had just washed their feet, the, the worthy one before whom angels bow and, and devils tremble, the Lamb of God who within the next 24 hours would take away the sins of the world had taken time out from the most dreadful night of his life to wash their feet. They had no idea what he had just done for them. They also did not understand that this was so important because he wasn't just washing their feet. He was setting them an example. I have set you an example. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I, I've set you an example. You should done as I have, do as I have done for you. Uh, and this wasn't just about the fact that their feet needed washing. It's commendable to do something that's needed. It's commendable to do a, a task that you see uh, that needs to be done. But it's righteous to do something that the Holy Spirit tells you to do and oftentimes sometimes we shut out what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do because we're so busy doing the things that we feel like need to get done now the Holy Spirit and this is this is this is one of the places I want to go today because I want to give us a different idea of what service is the Holy Spirit may be saying go over there and speak to that neighbor that you've never spoken to and that you think is creepy and you just don't want to necessarily get too close to them. You're going, well, you know, I really don't have time today because i got to go help so-and-so. i got to go do this. i got to go do that for somebody else. It's a good thing, God. God's going, that's a good thing. This is an eternal thing. This may be the moment, the day, the time that I have prepared throughout all eternity for that person to be approached by you, and you're not listening to me. Jesus didn't just wash their feet because they were dirty. He washed their feet because the Holy Spirit told him, it's time. Do this now. How many other, how many nights did they eat together? How many dusty roads did they travel down? He never washed their feet before that we know of. He's listening. He was listening to the Father to know what to do and, and, and when to do it. It's commendable to do good stuff, but you see, God never creates busy work. Nothing that God gives us to do, sends us to do, are things that he's kind of going, oh, you know, what can I have him do now? No, uh-uh. <laughs> these are things that he prepared in advance for us to do. I, when I was a youth pastor, I uh, would get together with kids sometimes one-on-one afternoons, and, and I remember one time, uh, 
I remember one time uh, getting together with one of the kids in the youth group, and uh, they set me up. Uh, they said, can, Pastor, can God do anything? Yeah. Darn right. God can do anything. You know, I mean, that's where we go with it. And, uh, <laughs> and then he said, well, I've got a question. Can God make a rock too big for God to pick up? I went, okay, I've been, I've been had here. First of all, let me just say, but hear the rest, hear, hear the whole saying. God can't do anything. There are some things God can't do. God can't lie. God can't be unfaithful to who he is. God can't change his nature. There, there are certain things that God can't do. God can't do anything that is meaningless. There's no meaning whatsoever because that's, that's, that's existential. That's, that's, uh, that's emptiness, and there's nothing about him. It, when, he is light in whom there is no shadow of turning whatsoever. Everything has purpose. Everything has meaning, whether it's filling a basin with water and washing his disciples' feet or whether it's going and saying hello to that neighbor that you're supposed to say hello to or whether it's you know, some more overt act of service that we tend to think of and the example that jesus said here is simplicity itself sometimes people want to go deeper have the meat of the word i want to go deep and that's that's okay but i when i hear that i'm oftentimes i know that that is code for i want to learn some stuff other people don't know I want to I want to learn some stuff. Uh, when we were at the Lord's Chapel, well, really, any any pastor who's been a pastor very long has, at some point in time, had someone come up to them and say, "Pastor, we're leaving. We're not being fed here anymore." You know, and I have a tendency to kind of go, "Wait a minute," you know, because at, at the chapel, I, the pastor that I had there, he was a wonderful man, and. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of the sermons sometimes did repeat themselves, but I would kind of go, what he's teaching is, is, is right, it's from the Word, uh, so you've got all of this covered now, you, you're, you're doing everything that you've heard, you need to go hear some more stuff because you you're touching all these bases. See, if you're out on the ocean and you want to go deep, you're going to have to walk a long way through some stuff that's this deep and this deep and this deep before you get into the let's go swimming you have to walk into stuff and so let me give you some examples let's let's just see here if we want to go deep if we want to serve the way jesus served let's look at three things a new commandment i give you love one another as i have loved you so you must love one another how you doing with that one You got that one covered? Uh, Mahatma Gandhi is quoted as saying, uh, if Christians lived what Christ taught, I would be a Christian. You know what? If Christians lived what Christ taught, the whole world would be Christians and Christ would be back. Something isn't happening here somewhere. And a lot of what's not happening is the fact that 
it's, the world doesn't get saved because their hearts are so hard. The world doesn't get saved because we don't love them. We'd like to put more notches on our, on our, on our evangelical belt. You know, we love them that way. But just love them. It's a strange thing. Even, even people who don't really know what love is are going to go where they think love is. And that's why they stay away from the church in groves. Droves. Groves? Droves? Maybe they stay in groves. But they... <laughs> that, that's why it's so hard to get them to the church often. They've been there before. And they don't feel love there. I mean, you know, you don't have to be saved to know what mean is. Virtually everybody knows that. <laughs> Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy and, uh, and he said, watch your life and doctrine closely. And half of that is a lot of people's favorite verse. Watch your doctrine closely. And that's what it all becomes about. That purity of doctrine and everything. Look, let me, let me just say this. I know that some of my doctrine's wrong. I just don't know which parts of it are. <laughs> and the reason that I know that is because I know that I, I can't be the one, who, the, the one who got it right. And everybody else out there is, has gotten it wrong. And, and, I, and I know that everybody else's doctrine out there, some of it's messed up. It just is. And I'm not saying doctrine's not important, but it says watch your life and doctrine closely. And, and, and the life, I can, I can do a whole lot more about than the stuff that I don't know about. You know, I know, I know when I'm being a jerk. Sometimes I do. <laughs> I know when I'm being mean-spirited. You know, I, I, I know those things. You do too. A new command I give you, love one another. That's the important thing. Let's look at another one, since we enjoyed that one so much. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have, has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. How you doing? You got that one covered? Is that one knocked out? Probably, probably not. See, we want to we want to skip over some of the things. When I was when I was in uh, uh, high school, I uh, I discovered that in math class, if you missed uh, a week or so and didn't get this part, you couldn't get any of the rest of it. And that's the way this is. There are things that are very simple, very, they may not be easy to do, but they're easy to understand and easy to know. And what we want to do is we want to go, ooh, no, let's, let's do this one over here. And God's going, this is the next step. You got to take this step before you can go over here. Just do what you know to do. You know to love. You know to forgive. There's, there's power there. There's righteousness there. That's the example of Christ in our lives. 
one more, but this one's a goodie. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Some of you are having problems living at peace with me right now because you're kind of going, don't you know that's a satanic symbol you've put up there? Actually, it isn't. <laughs> it was created in 1958, and it's a, it's a combination of uh, semaphores, uh, which is the, the flags, you know, the way they signal with flags. This is an N, and this is a D. It stands for nuclear disarmament, and that's where that symbol came from. But here's the deal. I mean, we live in such a polarizing, such an angry, such an antagonistic society, such culture. And the Christians are the worst ones. Oh, yeah, uh-oh. <laughs> we are. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Proverbs says that angry words, not angry words, it's, huh? Well, a sharp, yeah, a, a soft answer turns away wrath, but uh, I, I, I didn't write it down. So it's not, anyway, it's not, what, do you remember what I said in the first service? Because I'm sure it was right. Harsh, harsh words. Thank you very much. Harsh words stir up dissension, create warfare. Used any harsh words this week? How you feel about Congress? How you feel about the president? How you feel about the pastor? We use them all the time. And it just, it just slips out. It comes so quickly. It comes so easily. And it ain't godly. And I know that ain't good English, but I just wanted to emphasize it because my English is usually so impeccable. That <laughs> How you doing with this one? How you doing with that peace and that forgiveness and that love? See, we, we think that's we, we think of service as as you know digging a ditch for somebody or building something and or, or cleaning something out or cooking a meal and all of those things are but hey so is this how can you serve somebody better than to love them to forgive them to bring peace into their lives and into a situation and you have the capacity through the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. This is the real meat of the word. Uh, Hebrews 5.14 says solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And I'll tell you the truth. We live in a culture where a lot of Christians really don't know the difference between good and evil. You know, if it, if it looks immoral, then that's evil. But if you're just talking about somebody, that's okay. Oh, the screen has rebelled against me. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, you repented, didn't you? 
Jesus said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Some have been led to believe that the Christian life is about going to heaven and avoiding hell. And indeed, Christ does save us from eternal damnation, but that isn't what the Christian life is about. Some have been led to believe that the Christian life is about pursuing and receiving blessings. And indeed, there are great blessings connected to the Christian life, but they're not obtained by pursuing them. It's, it's like joy, and I've mentioned this before. If you, if you pursue joy, you will never have it because that's not how you get it. At best, what you'll get is a momentary spell of happiness, but that's not joy. Joy comes from other things. Joy comes from other things that happen in our lives, and then all of a sudden, it's just there. And it's the same with blessings. If it's blessings you're going after, I mean, I know the prayer of Jabez and, and all that, but that's, that's not really the way to get blessings. Jesus said, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. That's where the blessings come from. Living the Christian life in every respect boils down to one thing, and that's a Christian is to be like Jesus. Say, that ain't Jesus. Well, how do you know? <laughs> when, uh, when, I, when I want an illustration and I'm talking about him as a king, I usually will use uh, an icon. I'll usually use, uh, you know, those icons with the impossibly sharp cheekbones and the large piercing eyes and and all the symbols around it, because that to me speaks king. You know, and if I'm talking about him as uh, being compassionate and forgiving and a savior, there's another picture that I really love to use for him. Uh, this is the picture that I'd like to use when I'm talking about, hey, you be like him. The only description we have of him in scripture is in Isaiah, which says he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing about him that we should desire him. I mean, you know, you don't just go, hey, I'd like to have a date with that guy. You know, he's <laughs> just a regular-looking guy there. But the call for a Christian is to live the way that Jesus lived. That, that's what it is. You know, well, was Jesus rich or poor? We get, so, we get caught up on these, on these sidetrack things, and I've heard people debate this. You know, oh, he was rich. He had a, he had a treasurer. Yeah, well, he had a, a thief that kept the money bag, but you know, he had a treasurer. They brought gold to him, and then I kind of I lean over to this side because he himself said, I don't have any place to stay. I don't have any place to sleep. You know, foxes and birds have that. But you know what? It is so unimportant that the Bible doesn't even tell us if he was rich or poor. It's so insignificant. It doesn't matter. You can be rich and be like Jesus. It's hard. But you can be rich and be like Jesus. You can be poor and be like Jesus. You can be anything in between. And you can be like Jesus. Loving, forgiving, merciful, compassionate. Oh, but you know, who's going to tell the people that they're going to hell? They know they're going to hell. You don't have to tell them. They know it. What they don't know is where they can find love and grace and mercy. 
Very truly, I say to you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus served, and we're not greater than him. Moreover, he, he, he served essentially in obscurity. And I love it. He didn't serve in the palaces or in the seats of power, the centers of power. He served at somebody's house here, along the road there, somebody that he met, you know, in, in a room with 12 guys here washing their feet, just where nobody else was looking. And, and oftentimes when we serve, because we're creatures of a fallen world, we have a tendency to want to be seen. You know, what's the use in serving if nobody's going to know you did it? Well, the truth of the matter is, there's, there's, only, there's one who sees everything, and he's the only one who really matters. I often wonder where he might be, where he might hang out the most here on Sunday mornings. And I would like to think that it's in the ministry center here, and it probably is during a sermon because he <laughs> likes the preaching. <laughs> I hope it is. Not because he likes the preaching, because the preaching needs help. But uh, I, I, I've got a feeling this might not be the place that he focuses on the most. Because... Uh, this last week, Margaret and I went to the Nashville Ballet. Oh, please. And, uh, you know, I'd never gone to the Nashville Ballet before. And, I, you know, I know ballet's a wonderful thing. It really is for some people. And, uh, but, but we went, and, and it, beautiful sets, great costumes, and I'm sure the dancers were excellent. The Nashville Symphony played. It was, it was all great. There was really only one thing there that I cared about. And that was a, a mermaid who was about this tall who spent two minutes on stage going. <laughs> Wiggle her little mermaid tail every now and then. I paid 80 bucks for this. <laughs> yes! <laughs> it's my granddaughter. Yeah! Oh, who'd you think it was? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I think God may hang out with the kids the most. I think that may be where he's focusing a lot of his attention. You really want to get noticed by him. How can we do this? Let me, let me end quickly with this. We live in an era where self-esteem is a big issue, and it's no accident that low self-esteem became a big problem just as we as a culture started turning away from God. And, and you know, we think, okay, yeah, oh, yeah, we started turning away from God. We took prayer out of schools and stuff like that. We started turning away from God a long time before that. We started turning away from God when we started pursuing money, when we became too warlike when we begin there were a lot of things that we'd be oppressing people and denying them their rights and freedoms that, that was turning away from god and you know taking prayer out of schools that was just you know that was a, a some sesame seeds on the salad 
you know, really. But self-esteem is a, is a big issue in this culture. Jesus' ability to serve was preceded by something wonderful. This is the beginning of that chapter. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist and poured some water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, knowing that all things had been placed under his power. Now it's time to serve. He served from a position of power. So what about us? We may not be so aware that all things are under our power. And listen, I theologically agree with, uh, with those who teach that all things are under our power through Christ because they are. The theology of that is, is fine. I disagree with the practical application that they usually make because while all things may be under our power, they're not subject to our will. Not my will, but His be done. The, the, the reason that it's subject to under my power is because I'm under His power. That's what that's about. So where do we find the strength to serve? Do you understand what He has done for you? creator of the universe who knew you before you were born in fact i i wouldn't argue with the assertion that he knew you before he ever said light be the lamb of god who died for your sins so that you might be reconciled to the father and so that you might have eternal life the the King of kings and Lord of lords who humbled himself and came to you. If you know him, it's not because you came to him first. He came to you first. You understand what he's done for you. How important and powerful that is. Back in the early 80s, I was uh, riding along one afternoon and the Lord dropped a little chorus into my heart. I tried to put verses to it later on, but the verses always just messed it up because the chorus was from him. And it went like this. Isn't it strange that the one who said, come unto me, came to me instead. He knocked upon the door of my heart. Though I said no, still he didn't depart. When I said go, I knew that he would stay. He cared so much he wouldn't go away. Still it's strange that he should care so much for me. Do you understand what he has done for you? How much he has invested in you. We call him teacher and Lord. Rightly so, for that is what he is. Now that he has done all of these things for you, you should do these things for others. And you will be blessed if you do them. Would you stand with me?
Would those who are going to pray for people come forward? And if you're here and you need something from... You need something that only God can do, or maybe you need something that you think you can do, but are beginning to find out that maybe you can't do it. Then invite you to come. Uh, be prayed for. If you're here and you don't know Christ, He loves you. He loves you. Oh, I don't know. I have to be one of those Christians. I have to go to church and everything. Wasn't this fun? I mean, seriously. This is this is life in Christ. It really is. Any anything that you need from the Lord, you come. Uh, we'll worship for a few moments. If you don't need to come, worship with us. Just be in His presence. But if you, uh, if you have a need, you come. We'd like to pray for you. Physical, spiritual, emotional, financial, relational. He's got it all. He's got it all. By a love I can't explain Now you have me And I'm forever changed I've abandoned Everything I've ever known Now I surrender My life is not my own I belong No. 
I appreciate you coming. Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent his Son into the world not only to redeem us and become a sacrifice for us, but to set an example for us as well. And may his example of love and and peace and forgiveness and joy, may it be fulfilled in your life. And may those around you be attracted to your Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord.